0: Hey there, everybody. This is Matt Tilley, and I am here with Craig Faust. How are you doing, Craig? Doing well. Uh, you are with us here on Mental Health Insights in the Bible. We are connecting mental health insights found in the biblical narrative. And so as we walk through each portion of the Bible, we are focusing on the story, the way that it's unfolded uh, in the text, and pulling out what mental health uh, insights are. Uh, We find and how it it impacts the way that we think and the way that we feel, Um, how we understand it from simply a, a biblical perspective.
1: Right, and I think it's been important. So these first three episodes that we've talked about where we've really been camping out in Genesis, and Matt and I wanted to start out in Genesis because this is really the time where we get to know humans before the fall, which is actually what we're going to talk about today. So we're actually going to... Uh, skip ahead maybe a little bit from some of the things that we are going to end up coming back and exploring later. But the fall is something that's super important because it's the world that we live in now. But us understanding this is how humans were designed. This is what they're supposed to look like. This is God's vision of them. And it really helps us to understand, it's almost like our operation manual. Right, If you buy a new appliance, these are the parameters in which it's supposed to operate in. But then you get the new refrigerator, and it's just not cooling things the temperature it's supposed to be. Or you get the lawnmower, and the blades just aren't really working. That'd be terrifying. Blades aren't working quite the way (laughs) they should. Um, But that's kind of how it is with us now in this fallen world. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today and connect it to some of these mental health issues. Um, related issues that Matt and I see in our sessions with people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I love that we've started with the creation story. Um, As we're focusing on the biblical narrative, the the Bible's laid out in these uh, four simple categories. Creation, fall, redemption, and reconciliation. And so the first categories there of creation and fall all take place within the first three chapters of Scripture. Most of scripture is focusing on this redemption story of God calling his people back to him. And then we, you know, bookend it with the reconciliation. But even that reconciliation, to better understand that, it's important that we have talked about creation for so long and why we're going to keep coming back to it. That reconciliation is a restoration of all of the beautiful and good things God has made in creation. But To understand redemption well, which takes up most of the Bible, we have to understand what are we being redeemed from, what are we being called back to, and that's how we were made in creation. Mm. The fall has tainted so many of these good things that God has given us and made other things more of a reality like our own sin, destruction, death, shame, all of those things affect our mental health. Uh, and so I'm excited to excited and uh, a little sad to walk through this fall portion because it is everything that brings so many of us pain in our daily lives. Right, and it's really the understanding that we have
1: of mental health is it exists because of this. It, it does not... Actually, no signs of mental health or issues show up in the Bible, specifically outlined, but we do, and we will talk about today, how we do get our first glimpses of it uh, Mm -hmm. directly after um, the fruit is eaten. But uh, we'll we'll jump into that. But I want to camp out in something just for a moment, that God makes man and says that it is good, and then God says... It is not good for man to be alone. Mm -hmm. So the first time he says not good in the Bible. So if you want to sit there and track the times that God says good, uh, those are pretty relevant, and they are hyperlinks to things that happen later on in the Bible. And one of the cool things about this is he makes man and he says they are good. Mm Mm-hmm. Matt and I were talking a little bit about how easy it is for so many stories to have a narrative about human beings are evil. All they do is kill people and, mm-hmm. you know, and they take things and, and all this different thing. And it does, does it not take long for you to be a part of our kind of global society and get the message that people suck and yep. that they're they're not so great. And it is so much in contrast with here in Genesis pre-fall what human beings are and what the creator of everything says that they are. Yeah. So we're going to talk about, I mean, the the fall is why we get that perspective of ourselves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And like Matt says, it does not take very long. So this is actually going to be the first, the first time that we see conflict in the Bible. Um, the Hebrew Bible, unlike so many other different, you know, other I don't know what do you want to call it? Origin stories, creation stories, or anything like that, does not have any conflict um, with God doing all this creation stuff. It's just God speaks a word and happens. It's very mm-hmm. simple. There is no, there's no battle. There's no epic, you know, tale that ends up happening. Uh, it just happens whenever God does this. But with the introduction of mankind, we start to see that. There are issues that show up. And the cool thing about the way that the Bible is and, and the way that we kind of talked about this, we talked a little bit about dominion. This is going to come into play during the fall because we have dominion over the creatures that crawl and the creatures that are in the you know in the air, in the on the land, in the sea. We have dominion over these. And we're going to talk about today about how this serpent fools us. Fools Adam and Eve into eating of this fruit, and it's a weird thing because we're supposed to have dominion, so it doesn't actually make sense that they listen to something that they had dominion over. No difference than if my four year old tells me, like, hey, you know, he tells me this all the time, we're at the stoplight, and he goes, and it's red, and he goes, I don't like red lights, dad, you should go. (laughs) Well. It's not, a, it's not a wise idea. I should not listen to my four-year-old whenever they tell me to do that. Probably not. Um, so we get the kind of introduction whenever this happens. But, um, I, Matt, can you walk us a little bit into this this tree and kind of really God's one rule that he has uh, for people in Eden? And, uh, you know, walk us a little bit into that narrative.
0: Yeah. Uh, God essentially sets up for us in Genesis 2 that there is the tree of life in the garden, but he gives us one rule that there's also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says that we shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Um, and so God creates just a simple rule. And part of what is centered around the fall is the fact that we are tempted. We are deceived. We make a conscious decision, uh, just from ourselves as well, to break that rule and be disobedient to God. And then there are drastic consequences uh, that follow from that, Um, that there's a curse that is put on us. There's a separation from us and God. And I think it's important to understand, too, in creation, we see this big picture of God. And I think it's easy to ask these questions of, why would I even want to follow a God? who would separate us, who would push us away, who would curse us like this. But there have to be consequences from a God that is this glorious, this big. And so he sets into place one rule, and he's given us this promise of relationship. And out of this love for God, out of love for this relationship, we should want to obey him. We don't obey to get his love. He's already given us that love. But as they fall and as they eat of this fruit, that is a breaking of this covenant, this promise that God has set in place. And so God cannot be around sin because he is a holy, perfect being. And this takes place in a holy and perfect place. So it's important to keep that in mind as we read through this of, why these consequences are so weighty, why it is so destitute, the result. Um, But let me just read a little bit in here in Genesis 3. Um, There's a lot in here, and I will try not to read the entire chapter as tempted as I am, but we'll start from verse 1. Uh, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made, He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Already we're seeing him twist some words here. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. There's some words added there in Eve's response back to him. And we're not given specific direction of, did God say exactly that? Or is she adding to that? Is that something that Adam added on to that with her as well? It continues on in verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself.
1: Let's pause right there for a second.
0: Yeah, there's a lot.
1: there. Oh, so much there. Yeah. So this is, this is really the first time that we see any type of sign of mental health related issues. In the Bible. Like I said, it's not called out like that, but this is us gleaning information from this. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this in some past episodes, Mm -hmm. but let's highlight it right here. So we get to see a little bit of this deception of the serpent, and the serpent is kind of commonly understood or referenced as Satan, which we'll talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about. But one of the cool things that it ends up, or not cool things, but one of the things that we can kind of sit here and track. And there are phrases that you really want to pick up if you want to understand the Bible and, like, how it's designed. Mm. And that is the different phrase, like, it looked good in their eyes, right? So whenever—and this will be hyperlinked all the time in the Bible—and it's a reference to whenever people or people groups, they see something that they want and they desire— And instead of using the wisdom of God or going to God, using that relationship to try to discern something, they in their own right will try to make a good decision on that. Going back to the relationship between me and my son, he's four years old, he cannot make good decisions. Now, if you think about this, some type of cosmic being that created everything probably has a little more insight to the world than I do and they want to be in relationship with me and help me make good decisions so that I don't get hurt, so that I live a happy and healthy life, that's something that should be pretty appealing to me. And, you know, growing up, it is appealing to a lot of the, you know, a lot of our kids that grow up. I know a lot of us adults like to talk about how kids are rebellious and everything like that, and there's definitely that boundary pushing, but most kids are compliant actually a startling amount of the time. And most kids survive a startling amount of time because they are compliant with different rules and boundaries and stuff that we set in place. So it's not surprising whenever we look at this that there is a desire for Adam and Eve to want to have this knowledge that God has. And for whatever reason that we're not really that's not really elaborated in here, God sees that this is going to be a problem if they have this knowledge themselves. And we don't really know what that is. It's not outlined here, but there is a certain trust that we have to have that God has our best interest in mind, just like I have my son's best interest in mind. You know, I may not be able to sit there and explain very complex ideas, like I don't explain germ theory to him hmm. and, and why he needs to wash his hands before dinner, but... Mm-hmm. Um, but as he gets older, he will mature in certain ways and be able to understand more complex topics. So God right here is dealing with a very young mankind and trying to guide them into being the people that they are meant to be in close relationship. And we see here is the first time that you know Adam and Eve, fooled by the serpent, tried to make a move on their own without God. Mhm. And they try to make decisions on their own based on what they see and what they notice is good in their own eyes rather than relying on God for that knowledge which is how God has set up this relationship so far. Yeah.
0: Yeah, all through creation he was he was the one naming it is good. Mhm. Or it is not good. They were making that decision for themselves albeit tempted and spurred on by the devil. Right. Um It reminds me of C.S. Lewis's words of, uh, in his book, Mere Christianity, how we are far too easily pleased that we are content to make mud pies when right over the hill there is a holiday at sea being offered to us. And that seems reminiscent of what's happening here for, for Adam and Eve, that they just see that this tree looks good. They see that it could make them like God. Uh, I was using quotation marks for those of you who didn't see, uh, and it looks so tempting, right? That they would be pleased by this. They desire to have it. But is it too being too easily pleased compared to what the the good that they already have right. of being in union and fellowship with, with their creator.
1: Right. So
0: this terrible thing
1: happens. They eat of this, their eyes are open. First sign that we get of a mental health related issue, they realize they're naked.
0: Yep. So they realize their vulnerability. Totally. There's fear that invades their hearts in that moment. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, shame. Um, and we've named this before, but before in creation, it was naming that they were naked and unashamed. Now they realize that they are naked. And it doesn't say that they're ashamed, but it does tell us their actions.
1: Oh, no, they hide. They're fearful. They sew fig leaves
0: together mm-hmm. for loin cloths, and they run and they hide from God when they hear His footsteps.
1: Right. So I want you to imagine this for a second. Right? It's like your children done something wrong, and they they mm-hmm. run so that so that maybe you won't find out what what they've done, or you know, so that God won't find out. And it makes sense. You know, they have this covenant. For all intents and purposes, they got married to God. They have this, you know, they have this covenantal relationship in a very high and holy place. And it gets broken mm-hmm. there. And there's a part of them that are afraid of how God is going to react to this. Um, so let's actually continue to read on.
0: Where did I leave off here? Um Oh, this is right. This is the great part he says, of the story. Where are you? you know, yeah, <laughs> God calls out, Where are you? And He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. This is what we do when we are shamed, right? Uh, we hide and we run away. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Wow. Just throwing Uh Eve under the bus. Yeah. I bet
1: that you guys can probably, uh, you know, relate to that experience, throwing other people under the bus or being thrown under the bus yourself. Mm -hmm. for Because he took the same action. He was there. (laughs) It said he was
0: there. He could have spoken up. He heard all the same temptation. Totally. Yeah. Um, But this is another action that we do in our shame Mm -hmm. and in our fear. Mm -hmm. We point to other people, right, to Mm -hmm. defend ourselves, to protect ourselves. We blame others. Right. Yeah. Um, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She was honest, Mm -hmm. but she's also responsible for her own actions. And we see that because of what comes next. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. A lot of what is coming in these these curses that God is beginning to dole out are shadows of what we are about to see take place in the redemption story. Uh, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he but he shall rule over you. the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all le- living and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. One of the first times that we see death coming into play in the story right. as well. Uh, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us know in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life.
1: Wow. right. So pretty hefty consequences here.
0: Yeah. Thrown out of the garden.
1: Right. So I think that there is, you know, it's really easy to read this and be like, Wow. That was an over exaggeration of God. <laughs> but was it? <laughs> um, but I, I think that one of the things that was important to draw here is that from this point in the Bible, we only see God create. And one of the ways that God creates is by creating boundaries and separation and like kind of naming things. You see this a little bit in calling the land and the sea and, mm-hmm. you know, really kind of setting up in order of everything. And a lot of times the way that God acts whenever God curses things or whenever God uh, does things is he just takes away the order that he created. And we kind of see that, I mean, this is something that we will see continue to happen, like, you know, with the flood narrative and different Mm -hmm. things like that, where Mm -hmm. God will basically just stop um, this ordering that he's done, and he will allow things to descend into chaos. Right. And this is most certainly the first time that we kind of see this, where mankind, they, they've chosen their what is good in their own eyes, and because they've done this and broken the covenant, they cannot be in relationship to God. And right now where this seems pretty harsh, later on in the Bible we start to understand a little bit about why God had to send them out of Eden, uh, we see this especially as we notice that the Israelites are traveling through the desert, you know, for forty years. And whenever God starts to enter back into relationship with them, they have to travel with this tent, and everything has to be very specifically uh, set up in the tent. And they the Levites are really kind of in charge of this, as far as you know, making these sacrifices to. Uh, really kind of try to keep this relationship and you see uh, it even in those narratives which you know we'll eventually probably get to where people make mistakes mm-hmm. with them and as they make mistakes and they go into this holy place like Aaron's sons get obliterated they get turned to fire and they get desecrated in this holy place yeah. um, because they did not follow these steps mm-hmm. and it is very dangerous. Being close to God, and really in in early on here, the only people that we have that we see get close to God is Moses, and even after Moses's kind of fall that that he happens, um, Moses can't even see the face of God anymore, only the back of God, lest he may be destroyed as well. Mm-hmm. So part of God casting um, people out, uh, you know, or casting Adam and Eve out from our understanding, is this is also a way to protect them. Yeah. Because you cannot be... Sin cannot be in the same place as God. Corruption cannot be in the same place as God.
0: And not necessarily that it would hurt God as much it would actually hurt us. It would cause us pain or death. And this is part of the consequence of, now we can't live forever because he's cutting us off from the tree of life, but it's also so that we can continue to live in some form or fashion and hopefully live out our creation story, strive for what we were originally created for, even though we have this curse upon us. I wonder if it's also important to name some of the the themes that we see in this chapter of, well, now that there is a fall, what are our enemies moving forward? Uh, And it's kind of laid out, uh, in order for us that we have an enemy in in that serpent who was the original tempter, the master of lies. And you, you see how he's twisting these words and saying things that aren't actually true to what God had said, right. um, which I think is maybe an inspiration for how we shame ourselves. We use a hint of that truth, but there's lies mixed in as well, which makes it that much more easy to believe in those things. Right. And so he knows how to do that. From the beginning so we see that in the our sin and our fall and the rebellion we have an enemy in Satan we have an enemy in ourselves because we do have agency and now there is something tainted within us the good that God has created even though that's still there it's tainted and so we ourselves are now sinful and we also have an enemy in the world in the very ground that we are called to work and have dominion over Uh, which is why we have things like natural disasters, why people die in hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes, why we have famine, why we have floods, why there's disease. Uh, All of these things are a result of, of the fall that takes place.
1: Right. Creation is starting to be unmade. It is unwound a little bit during this fall. Yes. And part of that is because... God will not directly do any—like, you know, God will allow mankind to make these mistakes. And, you know, clearly he allowed Adam and Eve to make this because he's not a parent that hovers over their child Hmm. uh, constantly. He's not a groom that hovers over their spouse, making sure that they are keeping track of the covenant, but he allows us to have that free will to follow what he's asked of us. On our own.
0: Right. Yeah, he, and I think this is a good point too, of that he doesn't make the bad things happen. Mm -hmm. He is not the author of evil, but he does sign off on some things and allows us to make these decisions that that ultimately hurt us. Or look at the story of Job. We're skipping around a a bit here, but we'll come to that story at some point where he's not the author of what is happening to Job, But he signs off on Satan making Job suffer, but all still for the glory of himself and for the good of us, ultimately.
1: So I want to kind of break down a little bit what Matt has talked about and really connect these to different mental health-related issues, right? So I think that I want to start in the reverse, so the land is no longer cooperative. Mm-hmm. So like my, Thorns and thistles. Oh, yeah. Thorns, thistles. Uh, so there is a lot of competition over land in the world as far as like farmable land, as far as like land that's like more prized over than others. Mm-hmm. And there are more coveted types of plants and trees and all these types of different things, these resources that are now choked out by a land that does not respond the same way as Eden did, where Mm -mm. things grew very lush and a lot of things are very usable. Now we have a lot of poisonous plants. We have things that um, are, for all intents and purposes, not necessarily good for us. Mm -mm. And with that comes a certain amount of hardship. And this is hardship that I'll say that we were probably designed for some of it, but not alone. Mm -mm. So God has designed us to be in relationship with him. We know this. This is kind of clearly outlined, and it's not—I say kind of clearly outlined. It Mm. is clearly outlined in these first chapters of the Bible because God is present in all of this. Right, even like God doing his evening walk, right? And you get this picture God taking this evening walk in the cool of the day, wants to walk with Adam and Eve. There's a very intimate relationship mm-hmm. uh, with that, yeah. and it, you can almost imagine like during these times where these walks, God sharing wisdom, or these are the opportunities for them to ask questions or to maybe explore a little more about what their dominion looks like, what they can do. And this is seen a little bit later on through the Bible where I think some of the greatest examples are like with Moses, going to God again and again and Mm -hmm. again to find a little more discernment about Mm -hmm. what they should do in certain situations. And it's something that we're called to do. The pain and the challenge of the land, any of you that are gardeners or any of you that try to keep immaculate lawns are very aware, it is hard to do so. Mm -hmm. And this turmoil causes stress for us. It causes a feeling of scarcity and lack of resources. That didn't exist in the story before, Mm-mm. and that scarcity effect, that that hardship, takes a huge toll on our body. Yeah, and that toll that happens in our body, that stress that happens in our body, surely affects our mind because it creates these worries that there might not really be enough. Right, and now and,
0: that scarcity has come in, right, and so mm-hmm. fear is going to be a part of that. Uh, and when our bodies are are weakening. Of course, that affects our mind and our heart. All of the the parts of us are interconnected. And so if I'm physically exhausted and worn out, it makes sense that emotionally and mentally I'm going to feel worn out as well. Totally. Well, and
1: even like getting down a little more uh, scientific for us here, whenever a body is stressed and it goes through the stress response, your muscles, especially in your core, will tighten and whenever they tighten they pinch this nerve called the vagus nerve mm. whenever that nerve gets pinched, you get this release of different you know for all intents and purposes hormones chemicals into your bloodstream and this amps your body into that fight flight freeze that some of you may be uh, you know familiar with it's what we call our stress response and the fight flight and freeze are the most common responses or they're the kind of responses that we understand that happen. And whenever that fight-flight-freeze happens, your body starts taking resources away from the smartest part of your brain, mm-hmm. you know, how to problem solve, and you enter into what we call like survival mode. Mm-hmm. So this scarcity, this stress that's put on our body can put us into the survival mode where we actually have reduced capacity for living and to solving and navigating problems. Right,
0: it's the animal part of our brain. Some people mm-hmm. call it or the limbic system uh, that comes online at that point, and we react when we're in that place. Uh, we're not able to clearly think out rational decisions. Uh, it comes up in the cycle of what. Uh, Happens in relationships of uh, heightening arguments and feeling more distance. Um, It's what happens with every single couple that sits on my couch. Uh, The limbic system's online and all we're doing is reacting and going around in a vicious circle and just responding to each other but not truly listening or able to slow down and ask the question, what is happening here? How do I actually listen and try to understand what my spouse is feeling and what they're saying rather than only hearing the fear or the panic or the anger in mm-hmm. their voice well coming back to this story uh, we are
1: not told that Adam and Eve actually fess up to what they did they just blamed Adam yep. blamed Eve then Eve blamed the snake yep, and, or the serpent rather and so this is something that's like very normal for us so we had this turmoil of the ground right that causes this this extra stress. Then uh, Matt talked a little bit about that turmoil, like within us. And I feel like those two are kind of connected, right? That that stress, the scarcity, the shame mm-hmm. that we have from mm-hmm. like just being in this fallen state. And I think it's really easy for us that are Christians to feel this shame. Uh, there's a lot of names for it that are, are very popular, but it, it's a pretty easy concept. I know at least in our our Western culture, this idea that a lot of Christians are, are ashamed of the fall and ashamed that they should be doing more or different things like this. And what we understand of shame is it is a very challenging emotion. It actually pulls us away from responsibility. It pulls us away from actually doing things. It pulls us away from action. Yeah. You know, But we feel like we're taking responsibility because we're really beating ourselves up over it. And it's a very, very challenging emotion to deal with. A lot of times it feels Mm -hmm. like it's a wet blanket that's thrown over you and it sucks out energy. It makes it difficult to think. It makes it difficult to really kind of get up and move and and navigate in different situations. It causes us to blame ourselves and take full responsibility of ourselves without a plan for any type of action.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think... could be said too that shame could possibly make you overperform, uh, overreact. Um, I got to earn my way through this. Exactly. I have to be good enough because I don't feel very good. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a a distinction between shame and guilt or or better yet, shame and conviction. Uh, Conviction would be I did something bad or I made a mistake. I will repent. I'll say I'm sorry and I will move forward and, try to be obedient, try to, right. to follow God or to do good from that moment. But shame is deceptively evil, in that it says, I didn't just do a bad thing, I didn't just make a mistake, I am a mistake. I am bad. It, shame makes it about our identity, mm-hmm. which twists what God's original design was for us in creation. That is
1: such a big deal that shame is evil. It's bad. We are bad, right? It's a belief that we have in ourselves. And in psychology, there's actually a lot of research around belief and just like how belief and thinking something about ourselves has a huge impact. And probably one of the biggest areas of research with this is actually around um, the placebo effect. Where a person can believe that they are given a sugar pill, but if they are told that it has X, Y, and Z effect, there is a very large chance that they will perceive this effect taking place.
0: Um, Yeah, the way we think about ourselves plays a huge impact. Uh, But I I love that idea, though, right? That if we begin to push on our shame rather than just on our actions— we begin to see a, a turning point in us. And this is where I focus on in counseling and mental health. If somebody wants to see change in their life, but they think that they are, they're bad because they do X, right? Well, one of the first places I start is not on correcting their behavior. It's correcting the shame that is going on for them. Uh, letting go of this hatred of themselves or this idea that there's inherently something evil about them. no. If we do that, we are saying what you were created for is good. You actually have dignity. You're actually created for these beautiful things. And if you can let go of a little bit uh, or a lot of the shame and believe these things about yourself, there still might be some of that behavior that happens. But over time, the more that you are able to actually invest in who you are and who you are meant to be, the greater healing over time we have. Right.
1: Well, and gosh, this happens in couples work a lot of times too, right? A couple will have a perception Mm -hmm. or belief in their partner that they are doing things intentionally or purposely giving them a message, right? If I walk in and my wife knows that I, this is always a story I tell couples is that, like, it drives me nuts having dirty dishes in the sink. Sure. And uh, my wife really knows this, and if she leaves dirty dishes in the sink, which is a guarantee whenever I get home tonight that there's going to be dirty dishes in the sink, that early on in our relationship, I was like, she must do this to really make me mad, because she knows how much I don't like this. Throw them away. Put them in the dishwasher. Whatever. Right. Don't don't leave the dirty dishes in the sink. Mm -hmm. And being able to discern that my wife is not doing this to make me upset. You know, she's doing this for a variety of other reasons. Right. She didn't have enough time. She's running around with her little four-year-old kid. You know, she's.
0: It's probably not about you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's not like my wife isn't sitting there. Right. Oh man, I'm really gonna get Craig with these dirty dishes. And I'm purposely making this humorous. But there's a lot of times where we have this view of other people, especially people we're close with, that they are intentionally hurting us. Whenever that's just the perceptive, you know, perception we're having, and it's not necessarily true. Right now, I, and I kind of want to shift into that first one that you're talking about because we we're going backwards. Right now, we'll talk a little bit about Satan devil and like I talked about that uh this serpent is a lot of times seen as as Satan. Mm -hmm. There are different calls throughout scripture Mm -hmm. about the serpent and the Satan and is master at deceiving and lying. Right. So for us as human beings, it is hard for us to discern the truth. And you know there's a lot of different ways that we as human beings try to discern the truth and you know there's truth serums that you have in different stories and different things you got polygraphs mm-hmm. uh, you got different tv shows where people read like eye movements you got neuro sure. linguistics uh, you got torture you got like you know good cop bad cop type thing where, where, we got
0: a lot of strategies out oh, there oh yeah a lot of strategies yeah. for trying to discern truth of course it makes sense we have an obsession with the truth oh yeah yeah cuz there's lies everywhere And of course there is, because we are in a
1: world that Satan is allowed to do that. Satan is able to do that. And we kind of see this happen, you know, in the Bible, chapter 3 of Genesis, where Satan is introduced as the serpent and starts to ask these questions that some of you guys have probably seen where people add some words to something or they mm-hmm. kind of twist it around to try to get you to see their view or to try to get you to persuade you to do something, convince you to do something. And Satan is a master at this, is what we're told.
0: Yeah. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, no, he he didn't actually say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he begins twisting it to make us doubt Doubt is powerful, right? Doubt is part of that temptation uh, in that moment of temptation that I think we ourselves can bring or Satan and his demons can bring for us as well. What happens, I think and you can correct me if if you have a different theory or perception of this, especially in mental health. But we're asking this question. Can I really get my needs met through God, through what I was originally created and designed for or can I get my need met here and now is this way more powerful will this way be more satisfying more desirable but I think it hovers around well is this actually the good thing right (laughs) which is exactly what Eve was saying is what this seems good and desirable I think you're
1: totally right, but I would actually add that. Mm-hmm. Not only can God satisfy these needs that I'm perceiving that I have, can other people. So Satan... Right develops this way of it's just this mistrust this general mistrust that we have in people and there's all kinds of reasons we can develop this mistrust. Uh, there's a lot of times for people that actually develops in their family of origin so they grow up in where yep. they feel like certain needs aren't aren't being met. I'm sure that my son has this need with us because he feels like he needs candy all the time and we tell him no so um, you know he feels like there is some type of need that's not being met there. And that does create, like, a mistrust. Mm-hmm. Now he's careful to ask Dad for candy. Instead, he'll go ask Mom, and if Mom says no, then he'll come and ask me, uh, and hoping that one of us will say yes, and then he'll be able to get candy. So, all right, so he's developing totally. different strategies to get things that he needs. And the challenge is that for us, it creates a rift where it's hard for us to trust that other people are going to be there and to trust that God is going to be there for us. Yeah. And this trust creates distance in relationships, and it creates all types of protections for us. There are things that I may not share with close friends because I'm afraid that they may judge me for it, that they may think less of me, that that may alter
0: our relationship. Right. They won't be able to provide the need mm-hmm. of security, of vulnerability, of intimacy for me. Right. Right. And so I just I won't even try. I'll get that need of intimacy maybe met somewhere else. I mean, anything could almost provide that for us if we right. look hard enough. Well, and this develops into a lot of different things, right?
1: Like, so if I feel like that, I, so I'm being careful around this, and you may have noticed this, right? I don't think that people traditionally know what they need. Uh, <laughs> people, a lot of times, they think they know what they need, but truly deep down, I feel like that's something that's even hidden from us a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. I think that I need more money to live more comfortably (laughs) whenever the reality may be I just need to know that somebody loves me and cares for me even whenever I'm not having my best day. Right. And those two are very different, but it's easy to see how that could manifest in our culture, right? I could uh, go home and I could be like, my well, my wife's stressed about finances and I'm like, okay, well, like she wants me to earn more money. I need to get this promotion at this job. I need to work more, whatever this may be. And the more and more I earn, well, gosh, my wife just does not seem satisfied. And, and I'm not satisfied with it either because I feel like I'm not meeting a need for her. Mm-hmm. So
0: I feel like I'm less than, so I got to keep on performing. I had to keep on doing this. Sure. So out of my shame I keep her for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trying to meet a need that I can't meet right. actually.
1: And it's my perception there that the need is more finances were really it's just more security in my relationship. Yep. Right. If I felt like I was giving my wife what she needed, if I felt like there was that closeness, that bond there, then I wouldn't actually have that experience. Right. Yeah. So, they, a lot of times it's hard for us to know what we need. I feel like all of this is kind of falling under that kind of deceptive lens that we're in, and I think it's really easy for us to. It's really easy for us to make the story about Satan, about how Satan's really, you know, jacking up everything with this deceptiveness. But we also have the opportunity to lean into our relationship with God, to lean into our relationship with others, Mm -hmm. and God can definitely help us with discernment. And this is something that we will see as we continue throughout the Bible. A lot of times, by the time people come to us, you know, as counselors, they are looking for discernment, Mm -hmm. and it's harder for them to trust their own discernment on things, And, and this is something that we help them with. And Matt and I as as counselors that believe in God, a lot of times we are seeking discernment from God to help deliver to our clients because we don't really know the answer at the end of the day, but God does know the answer and if we can trust in yeah. God having that wisdom, oh well, gosh, that takes a lot of pressure off me to tell the yeah, right, it does. You know to tell people. I right love
0: things. that position that I get to be in mm-hmm. because I'm not giving advice. And very rarely am I just answering a question direct on and saying, you need X or you should go do this. I'm being patient. I'm listening. I'm sitting. I'm showing empathy and compassion. And I'm saying these quick little prayers throughout a lot of my sessions of God help. Spirit move through me. Help me to understand and know how to love this person sitting right in front of me. Because I don't necessarily know the answer to that right now. Please be present in this room. And he is. (laughs) I fully believe that he is.
1: Well, and if we think about this, right, we've been talking about this fallen state that we're in now. These mental health issues that come into play because of the challenges that we face in the physical world, the challenges that we face in the spiritual realm as far as like how Satan is deceiving us, causing issues, these challenges that we face internally, all these things add up to a very difficult and hard life, and it's a life that we can't do alone. And Mm -hmm. we can already see we're not designed to do it alone. We're designed to do this with God. We're designed to do this with other people. And the more and more that we can do that, we see that a lot of mental health issues are actually really resolved with other people, you know, with communion with God, with communion with other people, with communion with this, you know, stepping into... These types of purposes. Whenever people have a work life, whenever they have that home life, whenever they have life where they are dedicating to a greater thing. So, in what Matt and I believe, a greater thing that God is calling you to, mm-hmm. and uh, and that could be anything, right? Not everybody's called towards ministry. You know, Matt and I believe that we're called to be counselors. We believe that we're called to do this podcast. Um, you know. People are called to do all kinds of different things, whether or not it's on a grand or smaller scale, and whenever we are sitting in that purpose, whenever we have this life where we are in relationship with other people, when we're in relationship with God, we see it's easier for us to be vulnerable. It's easier for us to be vulnerable with God, easier for us to be vulnerable with other people, and it shifts what we start to ask for, and we start Mm -hmm. to shift into asking for what we actually need. Right. And once we start to shit for that and we gain that awareness, all of a sudden the lies and the deception start to part way and we can actually work on what the real issue is.
0: Yeah. That reminds me of, I think it's Psalm 34, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. But as you start delighting yourself in the Lord, this is just Matt here, this isn't scripture. As you start delighting yourself in the Lord, being in relationship with him, the desires of your heart begin to shift. And we actually actually become attuned more so to what it is that we need and what it is that we want.
1: Right. Yeah. So if there's something that I think that I want to leave you with here today, it's Matt and I were talking a little bit about this before we started recording, and I know this episode's probably a little bit longer than what we were intending to, but we kind of knew that walking into it. Um, There's a lot to say. That I don't want you to walk through your life thinking that this world is impossible because of Satan, because of the ground, because of our kind of internal shame and guilt and, and, like, all these different things that are affecting us. That's part of the narrative, Mm-hmm. And I do want you to walk away from this saying, wow, this is hard because of this. This All this stuff is contributing to how hard this is and why this is like this. But I also want you to hear something that I feel like is very important. God has provided a way for us to experience healing and to start to live Absolutely. the life that we see in these first chapters of Genesis in the Garden of Eden. Can we go into Eden right now? No. But God has given us an idea of what this actually looks like, and he mm-hmm. continues to show us throughout the Bible as we'll continue to unpack and we'll see connections. So I want you to walk away from hearing this knowing that we are people that are meant to be in relationship with God and in relationship with others. And that isolating and staying away from them and being in shame and being in guilt is actually gonna be something that's gonna make things worse if yes. you are not doing those things, if you're not in relationship, if you're not behaving in the way that God has actually designed us to do. Yes. So if you're toiling away in life and you're not doing something that you feel like you're called to do. If you are, you know, if it feels like every day is just the same, then you might be called to do something to shake it up a little bit. You might be called to do something a little bit different. And I can't, you know, on this side of the mic, I can't tell you exactly what that is, but I can affirm to you that God is calling you to do something. God's calling you to be in relationship. And if you're suffering from mental health-related issues— There's probably because there's a distance between you and God and distance and other people. And Mm -hmm. we're going to continue to talk about how to close that distance. But know that this is not all on you. We are living in a hard world, and there is a path forward.
0: Yeah, there's a reason for your suffering, Mm -hmm. but there is also hope. And so reach out to somebody. The bravest thing that you can do is ask for help, and every single one of us need that. So... We are excited to continue to walk through this process with you. Uh, and if you have any questions, please send us an email or uh, a message. Let us know how we can help. Let us know if there's something else that you would like us to speak on as we walk through the story of Scripture. Um, we're excited to keep engaging with these seriously hard topics. All right,
1: And you know, thank you for listening to us. If you find that this is helpful for you, please tell other people about it. Please leave us a five-star review so that other people can find us Yes. and this uh, resource to help other people improve their mental health. Yeah. And, you know, until next time, we wish you well. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Mental Health Insights in the Bible. This podcast is conducted by two licensed professionals in mental health counseling, but this podcast is not meant to provide medical or legal advice and is not a substitute for personal counseling. The song on our podcast is called Indie Folk by Alexi Action, found on Pixabay.
0: If you are listening to this and feel that you may be a harm to yourself or others, please reach out to Professional because we believe your life is worth it.